This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Steve Walton delivers this teaching entitled Samson. This is the third message in the series, Weird Stuff. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. Twelve Stone, I told you last week, and I'll say it again, one of the great joys of what we get to do together is raise up leaders. Many of you listening are leading in life and marriage and business and at Twelve Stone in greater ways because of the training we commit to around here. Because in the same way that we are a sending church, we are a training church. It's one of the things God has called us to be and do. And that's what's happening these two weekends, last weekend, this weekend, as part of the series Weird Stuff in the Bible. And today, Steve Walton will be teaching. Now, Steve graduated from UGA in 2007, so I know we're going to get a bunch of go dogs. <laughs> Steve joined the two-year 12-stone residency in 2012. And in the first year of the residency, he led the student ministry at, at Flowery Branch. In his second year, he poured into students at, at Sugarloaf Campus. But I have to tell you, during his residency, we hosted a Christmas party at our house, and we brought the residents in. And, and I met Steve. And after spending some time with him, in fact, after the party, I told Marsha, now that young man is a gifted and anointed leader. I think God has big things in store for Steve, and we need to keep that man in our leadership circle. Well, wouldn't surprise you then that the last four years, he's been on staff as the student pastor for Sugarloaf Campus, but he is now the campus pastor at Sugarloaf, and they are very proud of this rising leader. And I always knew in my gut that a day would come when I would introduce Steve to teach on a weekend at 12 Stone. Yes, it's his first time teaching on the weekend, and he's also a young voice just like Trey was last weekend. But one of the things I love to see through these three weeks of this weird stuff in the Bible, from Sean to Trey to Steve today, is that each generation has their vernacular, their bent, uh, their way of speaking about God. And 12 Stone I not only want to expose you to those next generation voices, I want you to allow God to challenge you with the next generation voice. Huh. So don't you love this? Don't you, don't you love being part of a church that can celebrate 30 years this coming new year and have leaders from every generation rising up as God advances his kingdom? What we get to do together is awesome. And God has something for us today. So Steve, come up and teach us. Thank you, thank you, and welcome to 12 Stone. We are really excited that you're here today for week number three of Weird Stuff in the Bible. Now, uh, before we dive into it, I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Catherine, definitely, definitely my better half, and uh, this, is, this is fun. Uh, this upcoming Friday, Catherine and I will be celebrating our 10-year anniversary. We made it, 10 years. 10 years. We got married when I was 12. And uh, I'm just kidding. Now we're just a little older than we look. And then this is our son, Judah. Judah is 18 months old, and he is a fireball of energy running around the house. His favorite word, this is true, his favorite word right now is, uh-oh, 
So he, yeah, he does that quite a bit. And uh, but man, we love him. We love him. Uh, and he's our first and only child. And to answer your question, yes, we're thinking about having more, but calm down, okay? We're having fun with one. It's fun. Uh, and then the guy with the big old goofy grin, that is me. That's me. Now, to catch you up to speed, if you've missed the past couple weeks, we've been in this series called Weird Stuff in the Bible. And if you've ever set out to read the Bible on your own, maybe you had one of those cool Bible in a year reading plans, um, it probably only took a few days before you stumbled across a passage or a story that was just plain weird and you didn't get it and it didn't really make sense and you're like there's it's just weird and the good news for you is we agree okay we agree that there is some even us pastors agree there's some weird stuff in the bible Uh, but just because something is weird doesn't mean it's not true right i mean there are plenty of things in life that are strange that are weird that are out there but they're still true and when you lean into the things that are true many times it can be helpful and so we think the same could be said for Scripture, that when you lean into the truth of Scripture, even though some of it is weird, it could actually help you and help me. And so today, the weird story that we're dealing with has to do with a guy named Samson and a craving that he had, craving that he had. Now, uh, when you see this word craving, there's probably some emotion that rises up in you, and you've probably got your own definition for what a craving is. I just want to give you my definition so we're all kind of working with the same, same thing. Uh, my definition is, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. You've probably heard this before, probably, you know, watched a TV show where someone said that, or maybe you had a friend or a coworker or neighbor or family member that, that said this before. And maybe if you're honest, there's been a moment of weakness for you, you know, when you grabbed the last Krispy Kreme donut and in the back of your mind, this is what you told yourself. You said, hey, if it feels good, do it. So there it is, right? That's what a craving is, okay? If it feels good, do it. Or uh, as the great philosopher Sheryl Crow said, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, okay? Yeah, that's what a craving is. That's what craving. Now, um, quick confession for you. There's a craving that I have, and you're going to laugh when you hear this, okay? But it's true. I have a craving for Mongolian beef, okay? Yeah, okay, there we go. 9 a.m., we didn't have any fans of Mongolian beef. I see a few people wanting to clap, okay? So I love Mongolian beef, okay? I crave this stuff. I will go out of my way on the way home from work to pick up some Mongolian beef. We'll have it delivered to our house. I'll even, when I walk in and actually eat there, they don't even hand me a menu anymore, okay? Because they know that I'm going to get the same thing I get every time, which is Mongolian beef dinner portion. Thank you very much, okay, because I'm there to eat. I'm there to eat. In fact, even, even for my 30th birthday party, okay, we had this stuff. We had a bunch of friends over, and, and normally when you have like an adult party, you know, you have the cutesy little sandwiches or crackers or something like that. Um, this is true. We had seven plates of Mongolian beef because it's my birthday, and I can do that, okay? So, so I love this stuff, all right? I, I, I definitely have a craving from Mongolian beef. And chances are there's a food craving that you have, right? There's a, uh, maybe you crave a certain type of like mac and cheese or, or maybe you crave dark chocolate or maybe you crave checkers fries or some other food that you crave. But we know this too, that you can crave things other than food, right? I mean, you can, you can crave attention, you can crave affection, you can have a craving to get ahead, you can have a craving for more money, for more stuff, for bigger stuff, for better stuff. And sometimes the craving that you have actually gives you the drive to get ahead or it gives you a drive to to build something that matters. But if we're not careful, 
if we're not careful, sometimes those cravings can cost us. Right? I mean, you could have a craving for a bigger house or a nicer car, but then the resulting payments are overwhelming and you get to the end of every month and you go, how on earth are we going to make ends meet? Or maybe you have a craving to get ahead at work, but that means a lot of late nights at the office. It means you don't see your kids as much. It means you and your spouse have a strained relationship. Or maybe there's a craving you have that you've never told anyone about and you don't want anyone to find out about. And you always walk into that craving thinking, hey, if it feels good, do it, so might as well. But for some reason, when you get to the end of it, you don't feel good. You just feel guilt. See, everyone has cravings. But the question I want to go after today is, what do you do? What do you do when your craving has you? What do you do when your craving has you? What do you do when it's no longer about just feeding an innocent appetite? But it's about a craving that's starving you. And it's starving your life and your relationships, your family is what's at stake. What do you do when your craving has you? See, this is the question that Samson was going to have to answer. And so I want to look together at his story, and I'm just telling you up front, his story is weird, but the way that he answers this question has been helpful for me, and I think it could be helpful for you. So go ahead, grab your Bibles. They should be right under your chair, maybe already in your lap, but we're going to look uh, at Judges chapter 16 on page 255. Judges chapter 16 on page 255 as we walk through the story of Samson. Now, um, some of you probably already know the story of Samson. You could probably tell it better than I could if you grew up in church or maybe you grew up going to Sunday school and you had the cool flannel graph. Weren't those things so neat, right? And you, you had the story of Samson. But to make sure that we're all kind of caught up to speed, the main two things, there, there's two weird elements about Samson's life, two weird details, okay? Here's the weird stuff about Samson. His strength and his hair. His strength and his hair. And we'll get to his hair in just a second, but I want to I start off with his strength, okay? Samson is considered the strongest man in the Bible. And not just the strongest man in the Bible, many historians believe, the strongest man who ever lived, okay? No one else was able to match up to the strength of Samson. And there's story after story after story of just incredible feats of strength where enemies came against him and he always defeated them. In fact, there was one where, where, where Samson was literally trapped in a cave, okay? He was tied up in a cave and his enemies surrounded him and his enemies were the Philistines because Samson was an Israelite, enemy of, uh, of uh, Palestine. So the Philistines surrounded him. There were a thousand Philistines surrounding Samson. He's tied up in a cave with no way out. And Samson starts looking for some sort of escape plan or maybe some weapon that he could use to delay his death by another couple hours or if he's lucky, another couple days. And this is what he finds. It says, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey Okay, I told you it was going to get weird, all right? Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Okay, he defeated all of them. It's one versus a thousand and Samson wins. And then, then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. That's the PG version, by the way, okay? Yeah, you get it. If you, if you get it, tell your neighbor, all right? I'm just kidding. You can't say that in church. Don't say that. Don't say that. Okay, so here's Samson. You got to get this. This is crazy, okay? Here's Samson. He's surrounded by a thousand of his enemies, uh, enemies, and he has nothing but a jawbone of a donkey, and he defeats all of them, and then he writes a poem about it, 
Okay, this guy was strong. No one could match up to the strength of Samson. And the rumor was that his strength came from his hair. And this is the other weird part of Samson's story. Samson never had a haircut. Okay? From the time he was born until the jawbone escapade, there was never a single haircut. And the reason he never had a haircut was actually from a vow that his mom made before she was even pregnant with Samson. Here's the conversation she had with an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord said to her, you will become pregnant and have a son, and that's Samson by the way, have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, not going to have a haircut, not even once. And here's why, here's why. Because the boy, Samson, is to be a Nazarite. This was Samson's calling, to be a Nazarite, which meant that he was dedicated to God from the womb. So when people saw Samson, they knew that he had a calling. They knew that his long hair was evidence of his calling to be a Nazarite and more specifically to be dedicated to God because a Nazarite would have never had a haircut. Now, I can definitively say that my son Judah is not a Nazarite, okay? I promise you that because he's already had a haircut. In fact, he's had two, all right? When he was 14 months old, uh, my wife and I looked at each other and said his hair's Judah's hair is getting pretty long. We should go ahead and have it cut. So here's a picture of my son Judah right before his very first haircut. And you see it's it's getting kind of long. And, and, you know, Catherine and I are new parents. and We're trying to save a little bit of money. And so, you know, we decided, hey, why don't we just cut his hair? (laughs) Yeah, you parents know exactly why, okay? Um, Turns out, pretty difficult to cut the hair of a toddler. (laughs) In fact, I wish I could say... So check out this video of Judah's first peaceful haircut, okay? I don't have that video. I don't. And the reason I don't have that video is because the moment I turned on the razor, it was all hands on deck, okay? My wife had to put her phone down and hold Judah down with two hands. I had to hold him down with a third hand. Toddlers are really strong, okay? (laughs) Actually, maybe the strength really did come from his hair, all right? Anyways, and so we're holding him down, and I'm trying to, like, cut his hair with the razor, and he's, like, dodging and dipping and diving all over the place, okay? And it took forever, and by the end of it, all three of us were crying, okay? It was awful. And Samson and his mom never had this experience because Samson never had a haircut because Samson had a calling, and this was Samson's calling to be a Nazarite. Samson had a calling to be a Nazarite. Now, before you check out, because chances are none of you have a calling to be a Nazarite, I think everyone has had a haircut. Okay, that's what it looks like. But, but, even though God may not be calling you to be a Nazarite, everyone has a calling. Your calling could be dad, it could be mom, it could be brother, it could be sister, it could be son, it could be daughter, it could be Christian, it could be student. Everyone has a calling. And Samson's calling was to be a Nazarite, which meant he was dedicated to God from the womb. And the evidence of this was his long hair. But his calling was more than just that. See, God had a specific calling on Samson, which is why God granted Samson the strength of a thousand men. Because God's specific calling on Samson's life was to be the one who rescued the people of God from the hand of their enemy, the Philistines. And as long as Samson lived according to this calling... As long as he didn't cut his hair, as long as he remained dedicated to God, he was practically invincible. No one could touch him until, until 
his craving got a hold of him. And then Samson, just like you and just like me, would have to answer this question. What do you do when your craving has you? And here's how Samson answered that question. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza. Okay, now, I'm going to pause there uh, because if I said this in a room full of people who lived during the time of Samson, everyone in the room would gasp. Okay, but the reason you didn't gasp is, you know, because you didn't, like, drive a camel to church today, okay? So we don't really understand what it's like. But this was a big deal, and here's why. Because, because Samson was from the town of Zorah, which is in Israel. And for him to go to Gaza meant he had to cross enemy lines and go deep into enemy territory all the way down to one of the five capital cities of Gaza. And there was no military strategy for him going to Gaza. God had not called Samson to go to Gaza, but I believe that he went to Gaza because he wanted to fulfill a craving. Because that craving got a hold of him. And so he went where he knew none of his friends would be, where he knew none of his family would be, where he knew no one who knew about his calling would be. He went across town so that no one would know about his craving. Right? I mean, just like, just like when you want some Krispy Kreme, you drive across town, you know what I'm saying? You don't go to the one close to your house. And this is what Samson did. Samson went across enemy lines, deep into enemy territory, so he could fulfill his craving. And that's what the rest of the verse shows us. Chapter 16, verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And this may be the very reason that he went to Gaza in the first place. He went in to spend the night with her. See, Samson had a calling, but he also had a craving. And I'm sure Samson felt like, hey man, if it feels good, do it. And after all, everyone else is. Hey, and by the way, okay, I've been dedicated to God from the womb. I mean, have you seen my hair? Okay, it's like I'm the most dedicated guy there is. Don't I deserve a break? I mean, just this once, can't I just fulfill my craving? But you know this, right? It's never just once. It always starts off just once, but for Samson, it wasn't just once. In fact, Samson went across enemy lines, deep into enemy territory, into Gaza over and over again. And he made this track over and over again. And then one day when he was going into Gaza or maybe on his way back from Gaza, he stopped at the Valley of Sorek where he met another woman and entered into another adulterous affair with a woman named Delilah. And Samson was about to learn that the craving that has you will always cripple you. And Samson got comfortable in this relationship with Delilah until one day Delilah looked at Samson and, and said, hey, hey, Samson, how is it that none of my people, none of the Philistines can defeat you? I mean, I heard a rumor that there was, you know, it was you and a thousand guys, a thousand Philistines, and, and yet you still won. What's the secret of your strength? And Samson, in verse 17, to fulfill His craving traded away his calling, and he told her the secret of his strength. Samson told her that he was a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb, and that his hair had never been cut, and that was the source of his strength. And as soon as Delilah heard this, she set a trap for Samson. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 19. After she set the trap, this is what happened. Chapter 16, verse 19 on page 256. 
It says, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. I mean, after all, I've done this a million times. Whenever the enemies surround me, I have the strength of a thousand men. It's going to be easy to defeat the Philistines. But look at the rest of that verse. It says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, Samson had no idea that he had traded away his calling. He didn't know that his calling had left him. He didn't know that his strength had left him. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. And then verse 21, it says, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, which, by the way, is the very place all of this began. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. And just like that, the guy who could never be defeated traded away his calling all for the sake of his craving. And Samson had lived according to, hey, if it feels good, do it. And as Samson sat in prison, I think he realized just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. Our feelings are a bad indication of our future. And yet, for whatever reason, we continue to make decisions based on our feelings. And when our friends and family agree with us and they tell us to follow our heart and do whatever feels good. But Samson would say, look, just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. That our feelings are a bad indication of our future. And yet, for me, even as a pastor, there are times where it's easy for me to just live according to my feelings, according to what I feel like doing or what I don't feel like doing. In fact, there was a time recently, it's kind of embarrassing, but it was after I graduated from college and I didn't feel, I didn't feel like going to the dentist, okay? Now, before you judge me, okay, too late, you already judged me, but here's the deal, okay? I'd, I'd always had great teeth, okay? I'd never had a cavity all the way up until college. I always went to the dentist, and I brushed my teeth regularly. I took care of my teeth. I just didn't feel like going to the dentist. I mean, you got to schedule the appointment, and, you know, it costs money, and Catherine and I are trying to save money. So it's like I didn't feel like going to the dentist, and so I didn't go to the dentist for nine years. And, uh, but don't worry, don't worry. Okay, after nine years, I decided to go to the dentist, and by that I mean my wife decided that I was going to go to the dentist. Okay, it's funny how it works that way. Um, and so sure enough, I went and they cleaned my teeth. And then at the end of it, and you can probably guess, okay, the, uh, the dentist came in and he told me that I had some cavities. First time. First time I'd ever had cavities. And then he told me that I had 13 cavities. Ouch. Okay, that was... That was not good, and I didn't feel like going to the dentist, but turns out just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good, and it was not good when I had to make all those follow-up appointments to have those cavity feels, and it, what, it didn't feel good when I had to pay all that extra money, because just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good, right? I mean, it may feel good to hit the snooze button, but it's not good to be late for work or unprepared. It may feel good to stay late at the office to get ahead, but it's not good when you miss another baseball game. 
And it may feel good to indulge that craving that you always think is going to make you feel good, but it's not good when you're left with another night of regret. Because it's more than just a cavity. See, because there are moments in our character that when we just do whatever feels good, it costs us. That just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. And I think Samson would say, there was a season of my life where I tried to live according to my craving and my calling. But Samson found out that you can chase your craving or you can chase your calling, but you can't chase both. And it's up to you. You can chase your craving or you can chase your calling, but you can't chase both. And I'm sure for a while there, Samson thought he could. I mean, after all, it kind of looked like he could. Because he was still the strongest man on earth while he was sleeping with Delilah. And it looked like he could chase his craving and his calling at the same time. And maybe you're in a season where you feel like you can do both. But when you get to the end of Samson's story, what you realize is you can chase your craving or you can chase your calling, but you can't chase both. And the moment you try to hold both in your hands is the moment that your calling slips through your fingers. That you can chase your craving. Or you can chase your calling, but you can't chase both. And I've tried. In fact, the most most recent time that I've tried to chase both, it was shortly after our son Judah was born. And the first couple months after Judah was born, you know, it's just survival mode. New parents know that. It's like your kid's not sleeping and you're not sleeping and you're just trying to survive from one day to the next. But then after about three months, Judah started sleeping through the night, which meant that we got our nights back. And I was so excited about that. And so one of the ways that Catherine and I celebrated having our nights back was to watch Netflix, okay? Because why not? Now we actually have some time. And so so we decided every now and then just to watch a little bit of Netflix. And at the time, the the, uh, season of choice was Stranger Things, okay? So that's what we watched. We watched a little bit of Stranger... Speaking of weird stuff in the Bible, okay? We watched Stranger Things, and then after Stranger Things, we watched another episode of another season of another show. And at first, it was just every now and then we would sit down and watch Netflix. And then it went from every now and then to, to every night. And it started off as just one or two episodes, and then it went from one or two episodes to three or four or five episodes, and then we started rearranging our schedule, and we started putting Judah to bed earlier. We put him to bed at like 3 p.m., you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We did. We're not that bad of parents, okay? So we, uh, but we did put him to bed early because that meant we were able to have more time watching Netflix, and then we went from eating dinner in the dining room to eating dinner in the living room, and then before too long, it was just me, Netflix, and a plate of Mongolian beef, you know? And I'm just, I'm sitting there watching it, and that was my craving, and you may hear that and say, that, that's really like no big deal. You should know my craving. That's, that's no big deal at all. In fact, for me, I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal either. Until God began to show me what it was costing me. See, because when the more time I was spending in front of Netflix, the less time I was spending with my wife. And the more time I spent in front of the TV, the less time I was spending with my son, and the more time I spent in front of the TV, the less I was living according to my calling to be dad, to be husband, to be pastor, to be a follower of Jesus. 
And not just any dad and not just any husband, but the kind of dad that comes home. This is the dad I wanted to be. The dad that came home and had time for his son. Not the dad that sat on the couch and turned on the TV because he had had a long day. And the kind of husband that comes home and serves and loves his wife like Christ loved the church. Not the type of husband that says, honey, I've had a long day. I just need to relax. That's what God had called me to. See, because you can chase your craving or you can chase your calling, but you can't chase both. And in that moment, I was only chasing my craving. And my calling was at stake. My calling of being a dad, and maybe for you, it's your calling of being dad or being mom, or maybe it's your calling of being husband, being wife. Maybe it's your calling of being a Christian, which means your calling is to follow after Jesus or fall in love with Jesus. But everyone has a calling, and that is what's at stake when you chase craving. Seeing God began to reveal to me what it meant for these things to be at stake. And I think for us that you make fewer mistakes when you realize what's at stake. That you make fewer mistakes when you realize what's at stake. And when you begin to see the picture for how it really is, I think it changes you. I mean, I mean, don't you think Samson's story would be different if he knew the end of his story? Right? Do you, like, like, don't you think if Samson knew that his trips to Gaza would eventually end him up in prison, don't you think he would have stopped going to Gaza in the first place? I mean, don't you think if Samson knew that his adulterous affair with Delilah would cost him his calling, don't you think he would have cut out of that relationship? He probably wouldn't have even started it in the first place. See, this is why hindsight is always twenty twenty, because you can look back and see the things that were at stake, the things that you lost or the things... That you gained. And I think today what God wants to do is He doesn't want us to look back, He wants us to look forward to see the things that are at stake. Your calling as a dad, your calling as a mom, your calling as a follower of Jesus, your calling as husband or wife. Because you and I will make fewer mistakes when we realize what's at stake. This is why on my phone I have a picture of my son. So that when I'm tempted to waste time on my phone, I see the calling that I have as dad. This is why I have an alarm on my phone. And it goes off at the end of every day, and it actually sounds like someone's calling the phone. And whenever I'm around coworkers or friends and they hear the alarm go off, they always ask, oh, who's, who's calling? And I always tell them, you know, no one's calling. But inside I know it's my calling. It's my calling to go home and be the type of husband that God's called me to be. It's my calling to go home and be the type of dad that God has called me to be. See, this is also why we now eat dinner in the dining room. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the first time we did this, I, I, uh, I, I set the table, I wanted to make it special, but we didn't have any of those fancy napkins, so I just got a paper towel and I folded it like they do at the restaurants, you know? And I put it on the plate because I wanted to start chasing that calling again of being husband and being dad. This is why every morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is I spend time with the Lord. Because if I'm not careful, I will drift to my cravings. I will drift to my cravings that will end up costing me. But when I spend time with the Lord, I realize again what my calling is. My first calling is to be son of my heavenly father. 
And then my calling is to be dad, to be husband, to be pastor, to be follower of Jesus. So what about you? What would it look like if today you began living according to your calling instead of your craving? In fact, maybe, maybe God's revealing to you what your craving is. Maybe it's similar to my craving, maybe it's time in front of the TV, or it's Netflix, or maybe it's time on your phone, maybe it's a video game, and it's taking up all your time, and you're rearranging your schedule, and you're just trying to live according to that, and you're kind of hiding it from your family because you don't want anyone else to know about it, and it's gotten a hold of you. Or maybe your craving is like Samson's craving, and it's lust, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a website. And it's got a hold of you and it's costing you. It's costing you with your family and it's costing you with your future. Maybe you have a craving for more money or maybe your craving is a spending habit and it's gotten out of control and it's literally costing you. What's the craving that God wants to talk with you about today? And maybe what God's doing is God is shining a light on your family your spouse, your kids, your future. And God's saying, this is what's at stake. You can chase that craving as long as you want to, but the more that you chase it, the more you risk losing the calling that I have for you because I have more for you. God has more for you today. Maybe some of you would say, well, that's nice. And I'd love to live according to my calling, but my calling is gone. (laughs) It's too late for that. I'm so deep into my cravings, I just don't think there's any hope. In fact, I feel kind of like Samson. You know, Samson was locked up in jail in Gaza and there was no hope for him. Well, I want you to know that Samson's story was not over where we left off. And neither is your story. See, God includes a detail in the very next verse where we left off that I think is so helpful for us and it brings us hope. See, verse 22, right where we left off, says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. (laughs) And this is a pretty obvious detail, right? I mean, of course his hair began to grow. Everyone who's had a haircut knows that your hair begins to grow. But I think God includes this detail for you and for me so that we know when we think our calling is God, God can bring it back. And God can cause your hair to grow again. In fact, God granted strength to Samson one last time. And with the strength of the Lord, Samson defeated the Philistines. And maybe today you feel like you're in prison in Gaza. And maybe today God is calling you out of Gaza and into freedom. And today is the day that you begin to walk in that freedom. And today is the day that your hair can begin to grow again. No matter how short it is, no matter how many cravings you have, that today you can walk in freedom. See, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to give people with cravings a hope for their calling. See, because unlike Samson, Jesus never gave in to his cravings. And unlike Samson, Jesus lived his calling 
perfectly. And Samson was the strongest man who ever lived, but Jesus was the most perfect man who ever lived. And he laid down his life for you and for me so that we, people with cravings, can begin chasing our calling again. So that we can have second chances and third chances and fourth chances and be forgiven and live into the freedom that God has for us. And so maybe today God is calling you out of Gaza and into freedom and your hair's starting to grow. So today, there's two questions that I have for you. The first question is, what craving is getting in the way of your calling? And chances are God has probably already highlighted this for you. He's probably already told you what that craving is. In fact, he probably told you about 10 minutes into this talk and you just wish that we would end a lot sooner than we have because you're tired of God getting your attention on this. But maybe today God's saying, that's the craving I want to deal with. That's the craving I want to rescue you from. So what craving is getting in the way of your calling? And then what's the one calling that you've neglected that you would beg God to bring back? What's the calling that you just wrote off and you figure that you were done. And today God's saying, no, I still have that for you. See, I have more for you. I have forgiveness for you and I have freedom for you. And so I'd love to pray. So let's pray together. And so God, you know the cravings in this room and you also know the callings in this room. And I'm so grateful that you have not given up on me. I'm so grateful that you love me and that you have forgiven me time and time again that no matter how many cravings I chase, you have a calling for me. And I pray today, God, for hope so that those sitting here would know they have more. You have more for them. And that there is a calling that you are inviting them into and they can walk in that freedom today. God, I pray that there would be burdens that are left here today. Cravings that are left here today. Freedom that is brought to people so that when, we, when they walk out of this room, it'd be like they're walking out of Gaza and into freedom. That's what we need most. And we recognize that we can't do this on our own because if we could, then we would already be free, but we need your help. So God, would you give us the wisdom to know what we need to do and the courage to go do it. And would you bring freedom to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah.